Welcome to the Conversations with Data podcast, where we bring you the most interesting discussions around data journalism. I'm your host, Tara Kelly, and in this episode, we talk about the Pandora Papers with Pierre Romera, the Chief Technology Officer at the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. Before joining ICIJ, he co-founded Journalism Plus Plus, the Franco-German data journalism agency. In case you haven't heard of the Pandora Papers, it is a leak of almost 12 million documents that reveal hidden wealth, tax avoidance, and in some cases, money laundering by some of the world's richest and most powerful people. More than 600 journalists in 117 countries trawled through the files from 14 sources for months, finding stories that have just been published in October 2021. Pierre talks to us about the process behind the Pandora Papers leak, the various collaborative tools used by the teams to navigate this, and how this cross-border investigation differed from others led by ICIJ. This podcast is an edited version from datajournalism.com's live Discord chat, held in October 2021. Let's take a listen to our conversation with Pierre Romera now. Now, let's start off, Pierre, with you telling us about the Pandora Papers. Why are they called that? And what are some of the most surprising or impactful outcomes from this investigation? Well, hello, everyone, and, and thank you for the invitation. Um, so why is it called the Pandora Papers? Well, you probably know that inside this huge amount of data, we have a lot of discovery, a lot of um, you know, uh, hidden elements that we found out. And we thought that like the Pandora's box, uh, this project, you know, unveil a lot of uh, wrongdoing all around the world. And so we thought it might be a good uh, analogy uh, to compare it to the Pandora box. So, um, yeah, why is it so big? Why is it so impactful? Well, I guess first it's because it's uh, related to 14 different providers. If you know ICIJ a little bit, you should know that we um, we worked on the Paradise Paper or the Panama Papers. And for those two uh, investigations, we only had one or two providers at a time. But this case, we had 14 offshore providers, so so-called offshore providers. They are firms that help wealthy people to create uh, offshore uh, companies. Um, and so this, um, this case show a very uh, large diversity of, of topics because we had so many providers. So that's why this project is very different from the previous one, because even if it's still on the shadow economy of the offshore world, uh, we have a new um, a new vision and a new, you know, uh, uh, a lot of new intels about this world that we uh, decided to uh, coordinate with a lot of journalists. Um, it's also different because uh, once again, ICIJ uh, make a world record with the investigation. It's uh, the biggest collabor journalism collaboration uh, ever. And I guess that was made possible because ICIJ worked on this issue before and we have the team to do it. And so that's why there are so many stories in it. You know, we have now the resources, the network, and um, and yeah, and we are able to publish the best stories you can imagine. Um, 
so yeah, that's that's why it's uh, it's not so new, but it's uh, also very impactful. Absolutely. Now, um, before we get into sort of the behind the scenes of the Pandora Papers, I thought it would be good for you to just tell us a little bit about your role as chief technology officer. You know, some people in the audience may not be aware of what a CTO does and how that fits in an investigative outlet like ICAJ. So, yeah, tell us about your role. What does it entail? Sure. So, um First, you should know that ICIJ, it's a, it's a small organization. There are only 40 people working at ICIJ. Uh, but what's make it a very uh, singular news organization is because half of the organization are data and tech people. Uh, this is huge. So we have about 20 data journalists, uh, developers, system administrators, UX designers. So we have a lot of, you know, uh, people that use the technology to do journalism. And so a big part of my work is to coordinate this effort and, uh, you know, help to uh, produce platform for the investigation, to dig into the data, to help the journalist uh, find stories and um, also uh, get in touch with the source. Uh, that's also a big part of my, of my uh, responsibilities. Um, so this all uh, converges into uh, the fact that ICIJ, even if it's a news organization, it's a pretty tech-centric organization. Uh, and so that's why we need you know, uh, so much uh, resources and so many people handling technology. And I guess that's also why we are able to produce this kind of investigation like nobody before uh, is because we have the team to do it. And I guess it's, it's, it's pretty unique. Brilliant. Now, um, talk us through the process of this very long investigation. I mean, you were saying that this took a couple of years, right? Well, it all started two years ago um, when we get in touch with the source. Um, in this case, the source uh, was well is anonymous and uh, wanted to stay anonymous. Uh, that was a source we knew about, and when we had the chance to talk with that person, um, well, we started to uh, you know discuss about uh, the file they have and what they could uh, send to ICIJ. So that was yeah two years ago, and progressively we um, we we started to meet with the source and get the files. That was the very first step. On the of the investigation. Once we have the file, that's when everything begins. Uh, we had to make everything available for all the journalists. So we started to upload it on our servers securely, and we started to index it. So, you know, uh, we put it into search engine so uh, it's, it's easy to search into the huge amount of text we have in those documents. Uh, then, uh, before starting to investigate, our team started to create what we call uh, country lists. So the country lists are at the very beginning of every ICIJ investigation. Basically, we um, look into the files and we try to look for matches, occurrences related to each country in the world. And then once we have a huge, uh, well, a, a good list and you know uh, enough information to share with our partners, we contact them and we tell them, well, you know, we have information related to that person, so maybe you you could be a good partner for this project. And then that's when they join the project. Um, once we have them on board, uh, we try to train them uh, to use our platform. We train them to use 
some of the um, security layer we have uh, and we try to um, point them to, you know, uh, interesting stories inside the documents. Then um, starts a very long process of sharing the findings, you know, on our uh, digital newsroom, it's called the iHub, and uh, trying to sort out some structured data from those documents. As you know, all those documents are um, unstructured. They are PDF, docs, Excel, so we need to find a way to extract sense from this document. And so that's what we call structured documents. And so that's also a very long process that lasts for uh, until uh, publication. Um, then um, right before publication, we uh, fact checked everything. We submitted to legal review and we ensured that uh, everything we publish is, you know, bulletproof and uh, is verified. So, you know, that's a very important part of the process. And I guess it's also our uh, secret sauce to avoid, uh, you know, being sued or uh, to uh, to avoid publishing um, wrong information. Um, finally, one month before publication, we reach out for comments to the people involved in our story, and then we publish. Marvelous. And I'm, we just have a question here from Simone, and she's asking, how did you go about recruiting the journalists and media organizations that collaborated on the project? And how do you pick them outside of ICIJ? A lot of them were already working with ICIJ before. Uh, there have been longtime partners on previous investigations. So, you know, most of the time, because it went well with previous uh, investigation, we continue to work with those uh, media partners. Um, also on each country, well, in each country, we, we try to pick at least one um, media on each medium. So it can be, you know, radio, TV, uh, print. Um, and so that's the way we uh, find several media in the same country that can collaborate without, you know, uh, being competitive. And then we also have new media partnerships. And those are uh, either based on the ICIJ member of, uh, network of members. Uh, as you probably know, ICIJ is also um, a, a member, uh, network of members. You know, they are investigative journalists all around the world that are part of some kind of club. And finally, uh, we also try to reach out on, you know, the, the most famous media in each country. And we also have another question in the chat. What skills do you think are basic for a journalist to participate in an investigation like this? There is no skills required to work on ICIG investigation. Um, that's, that's why we have uh, a training manager at ICIJ. Uh, she's in charge of helping, you know, people that are not non-tech savvy uh, to use our platforms. Um, and also we make a huge effort to, to make our platforms very easy to use. So, you know, even if you never used them before, you should be able to search for anything you want in the documents. I'm curious about like how you worked with the editorial teams like how did the tech your, your tech team and the editorial teams kind of work together within ICIJ but also with all these hundreds of other media organizations again I think that's a pretty unique thing at ICIJ um, 
because we are a very small organization, um, the reporters and the developers work very closely uh, together. Uh, but the first step before starting any, any investigations is for the developers to make everything available for the reporters. So to do that, uh, it's very important that the developers have some sort of understanding of what could be of interest for uh, the journalist. And so I guess that's also where the magic happened, you know, because we have people that can understand what is interesting in the document from a journalistic point of view. And, and then that's, that's why they are able to produce tools and, and analysis that can be helpful for the journalist. And then um, during the investigation, there is always this, we call it feedback loop, where we produce tools for the journalist. They use it, they do feedback, and then we improve the tools again and again. And, you know, it's kind of a never-ending uh, task at ICIJ. But I, I also think that's why the tool we develop for this, those investigations are so accurate. It's because, you know, they are always being uh, improved by the, the feedback we got from the reporters. And we have another question in the general chat. What takes the most time among those different steps that you mentioned? Is it the data cleaning, organizing it, the fact checking, um, the work that you do on the tech side? When you start, do you have an idea of how long this investigation is going to take? So it's always hard to estimate, um, mostly because when we get the data, we don't know what's in it. And, you know, when it's uh, close to three uh, terabytes, it's very hard to index because, you know, you have very different sort of documents. So um, I guess the work on the document itself is taking a lot of time. Um, and it starts from day one and it ends very close to publication because we are always improving the extraction pipeline. Um, and I guess the investigative part is also the longest. Um, basically, when we find a lead on someone, we have our uh, reporters trying to uh, find out what is the story. Um, and, you know, for many people, uh, they think that because we have a name in the document, we're going to uh, publish the story. But in fact, that's a much longer process. We find a name, then we need to fact check it. And that takes a lot of time. So it's, uh, you know, it's finding the, the company that was actually created by that person or finding uh, people that can testify on those offshore activities. So I guess, as always, in every investigation, the journalistic part is probably the, the longest and it, it's the one that required the most resources. Digital security is something that's always on our minds as journalists. And I wonder from your perspective with this investigation, like how concerned were you about about that and, and making sure that these different media partners you were working with were up to speed on that? Yes. So that's a, a very important part of our work. I guess uh, that's one of the only mandatory thing to know before joining in, in investigations. You have to be able to encrypt your emails. Um, we use PGP to do that. Um, and then uh, once a user is able to use PGP, they send us their, um, their key so we can uh, import it into the system and 
discuss with them securely. Um, so that's the very first step. Obviously, PGP is not easy to use for uh, everyone. So our training manager uh, and our uh, support team um, try to help the partners with that. Uh, but once we have that, we are able to uh, create the account for the user, had several layers of uh, authentication on every account. So that includes a strong password, uh, 2FA, you know, with Google Authenticator on your phone. It might also use a physical key, uh, like a YubiKey. Uh, and finally, on some cases, we, we have a third factor of authentication, which is SSL client certificate, which is a small uh, file that reporters can install on their computer and that um, allow our server to authentify uh, every request. Um, and finally, the, the confidentiality is also very important. It's a part of our security. Every media organization signs um, an NDA, non-disclosure agreement. Um, and so we ensure that, well, we try to ensure that the secrecy remains until publication. So far, we've been very good with that. And I think it's also a reason why um, our security stays strong uh, along the um, the investigations. We also have a great system team that is based in, in Madrid and that is taking care of ensuring our servers are secure uh, or as secure as possible. And um, it's funny because, uh, well, not very funny, but uh, just before publication, uh, I think one day before publication, we got a DDoS attack on our website. Um, luckily, our um, system team was able to uh, block the attack, but that's exactly the reflect of our um, the people invo involved in our story being aware of the publication incoming. Because we contacted them a few weeks before, they were able to know approximately when ICAJ was about to publish, and then they, we think, some of them try to uh, attack our website. That's quite uh, some risk and threat there. Um, so you've you've got like an interesting background in the fact that you're a CTO, right? But you've also worked as a data journalist. And I wonder how much of your experience of working in, in journalism kind of impacts what you do as a CTO for this kind of organization. Does it allow you to anticipate things that you ordinarily wouldn't if you didn't have that background? Yeah, a, a big part of uh, our mission in the tech team is to anticipate uh, on the needs that the reporters might have. I'm not the only one in the tech team to have a journalistic background. Uh, there are other people. And I think that's uh, why we are able to um, identify key features in our platform for the reporters. And that's, again, why the tool we produce are so accurate. I also think that uh, having a journalistic background helps me to help the communication between the reporters and the tech team um, because, you know, I spend a lot of time with the reporters, uh, reading the stories, reading the, um, you know, the, the ongoing investigations. Uh, so, yeah, I guess it really helps the team to work and, and, you know, to have some sort of harmony between the tech and the reporters, which is not so easy if you if you work in a media you should probably know that most of the time there is some sort of 
uh, oppositions between the tech and the reporters. Uh, that's not the case at ICIJ, and I think that's also because um, our tech team is very um, mission-oriented. Uh, they really believe that what they're doing is for the greater good, and uh, they really want to help to produce the best stories. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm so proud of my team. You know, they are all really focused on helping producing the best stories in the world. Brilliant. Um, and I wonder, what were some of the things that you learned from this this investigation um, that maybe you, you worked on a bunch of other investigations before, but how did that help you with the Pandora Papers? Well, first listen, you are never prepared to uh, do such a huge investigations. Uh, even if ICIJ has a lot of experience uh, with huge coordinations, with huge uh, collaborations, um, we were not prepared to tackle so many journalists. Uh, that was that was hard. Um, it takes time, a lot of resources. and. ICIJ is about the same size now than it was one or two years ago. So uh, we are able to do much bigger investigations now, but you know it requires a lot of, of work. Um, so I guess we also have to um, improve our platforms to be able to work with so many journalists. Um, that was one of the lessons we learned from this in investigation, um, because, you know, even if uh, the technology we use with the Pandora Papers is very similar to the one we use with Panama or Paradise Paper, um, we still have to do a lot of improvement on the servers to be able to both accept a lot of requests from the users, but also such a, a big amount of data. I guess we also learn a lot about um, the fact-checking process during this investigation. There are a lot of stories uh, that we uh, did not publish because we realized that we didn't have enough proof. Um, we might have more proof uh, in the future, so we might release more stories along the weeks, big stories. Uh, and I think that was an interesting uh, lesson because we realized that we had a lot of potential inside this league that could probably long for many years after publication. So I guess we're going to continue to produce stories for, for a while. Do you have multiple investigations going on at once or does ICIJ tend to just kind of have one big one that they focus on, it comes out and then you get another leak or... How does that work? The um, general rule rule is one big investigation a year and two to three smaller investigations. But in fact, it's <laughs> it really depends on what kind of data data we receive from sources and uh, you know what we find in the data. Um, so when people ask me if we are working on a new investigation, my answer is always the same. ICIJ is always working on an investigation. And uh, so I cannot disclose what we are working on. Absolutely. But if you had to choose between the Pandora, Panama, Paradise Papers, like what would you say was the most intensive out of those three that you're probably most famous for at ICIJ? Um, so I wasn't there for the Panama Papers. 
Um, but I, I guess that was the most uh, work intensive because everything was new for the Panama Papers. Um, they had to find a way to index the document. They had to, they had to create a platform. They had to uh, create a lot of new partnerships with the, um, with the media organization. So I guess that was uh, very hard. With the Pandora Papers, we were kind of lucky because the tools we used were already developed for previous investigations. So we improved them, we modernized them, but they were already there. Um, and also the team was much bigger than uh, for the, the Panama Papers. I think for Panama Papers, ICIJ was about 15 people, where now we are close to 40 people. And I just wonder, can you talk a little bit more about some of those tools? I know when I interviewed um, your colleague, uh, she was mentioning like some of the text analysis tools you guys used. Um, as I said, the, one of the most important platform that is at the center of everything is called DataShare. So DataShare is both a tool to uh, distribute text extraction from document to many servers. So imagine that you have a leak that is uh, as big as the Pandora Papers. With DataShare, you are able to ask dozens of servers to work on the document, to put them into uh, a search engine and to extract the text from those documents to put it into a search engine. Um, and then DataShare is also able to propose you an interface to explore the document and search into the documents. So it's very, it's, it looks uh, very much like Google, you know, but for the leaked document we have. Then another very important platform is called the iHub. Um, so the iHub is our digital uh, newsroom. Uh, so on the iHub, the journalists are able to share findings, leads, uh, testimony, uh, videos, uh, whatever they, they, they produce that is related to the investigations. And uh, on the iHub, we develop the philosophy of radical sharing. So we encourage all partners to share everything they found, you know, even if it's bad or, you know, there is not enough proof, we encourage them to publish it. And that's also uh, one of the reasons why ICIJ is able to um, to publish stories in many countries at the same time, uh, even if there is some sort of censorships in some countries. Um, because we encourage journalists to share everything, if a journalist is not able to publish a story in her or his country because of, I don't know, political pressures, and other journalists will be able to publish it somewhere else. Um, so thanks to the iHub, they are able to coordinate and, you know, uh, to share stories like that. Then um, we have a lot of other platforms that we uh, develop for each investigations. Um, so every time we got a leak or we got a data set, we produce some ad hoc uh, platforms to help the journalists to explore them. Uh, one of the um, platform we use very often is called Linkurious. Uh, so it's uh, a graph database visualization platform. And um, with Linkurious, we are able to import some of the structured data we have uh, from the leak and to put it into a graph database so journalists are able to connect the dots and you know find path between people and organization and that's a, a very uh, visual tool um, 
that is uh, pretty central both into the uh, investigative phase, but also in the publication phase because we use it to produce uh, data visualizations. Right. Um, we have a comment slash question about data share um, from Anna. She says, data share is just for data sharing and analysis, but can it be used for visualization? Um, not really, no. Uh, it wasn't um, created for that. Uh, it's really a search engine. Uh, that said, uh, we also uh, try to make it customizable. Uh, so DataShare can receive plugins. And so if, for instance, you have a very specific set of documents and you want to produce a visualization uh, that is uh, very specific to your documents, you can do it with a plugin. Uh, so of course it requires some code, but that's also a way to uh, you know have something that is versatile and that any newsroom with a few tech people can uh, embrace and 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 adopt. Speaking of visualization, I'm just curious how important is it to ICIJ because I feel like you guys are more into the analysis and the breaking these incredible stories based on leaks. I don't know is is visualization that important for you or is it more about the story rather than just some jazzy uh, visuals yeah we are more into the the stories to be honest um my personal experience is more related to visualization so i have to say that since i'm at icij i do much less visualizations uh, but it's also because our resources are very limited on that front uh, but it doesn't mean we don't like data visualization. In the contrary, uh, we always try to produce uh, data visualization that are generic and that can be reused by every partners in, involved in the investigation. So, for instance, uh, for the Pandora papers, we produce about 12 shards uh, that uh, that can be reused by ICIJ partners in their own stories. Uh, but we also produce a visualization called the Power Player that summarizes every um, person of interest, well, public official uh, mentioned in the investigation and where we are able to visualize the network of each person. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess in the future we will uh, continue to produce more data visualization. Uh, I hope we will have more resources to do it, uh, but I guess it's um, also up to the donation we received uh, because, you know, we have a limited budget. Uh, so if in the future we have more resources, maybe we'll be able to do um, much more um, ambitious visualizations. Yeah, it's almost as if the visualizations are more important to actually figure out where the story is. And, and understand the data and, and the persons of interest rather than just doing something for the sake of it. And sometimes that's just not very easy yeah. to communicate right. to the audience, right? Right, yeah. Before publishing the, the Pandora Papers, we had a meeting about this very specific topic, which visualization are we going to publish? And for so many stories, there was no visualization because you know the information was as simple as number in the story. And, you know, we, you don't produce a, vis a data visualization when you have just one number. Um, so I guess it's also a conservative approach to data visualization. And um, we also, it's also a way to focus on the story itself and to let journalists, you know, 
focus on what's really important for our readers, which is, you know, the story in, inside the document. And I guess I'm just curious from your perspective, I know you've been a data journalist and you also have quite a bit of coding experience, but how important is that to your job now? Um, or are you more concerned with knowledge management, digital security, data governance, architecture than code per se? Because I'm a, I'm a manager, I could just stop uh, coding <laughs> because, you know, uh, we have people that are very good with coding at ICIJ, uh, but I love coding. That's one of my uh, patient life. Uh, so I, I really don't want to stop coding and I, I will continue to code even if tomorrow we have 100 developers. Um, I also think that uh, it's important that everyone in the tech team uh, exchange knowledge about the platforms and and how they are built. Uh, and I guess that's also a way for me to ensure that there is some continuity uh, in the knowledge sharing. Uh, so because I'm still um, a developer and I'm still involved in in the development of the of the platform, I can help people to share knowledge and I can you know directly implement. Um, feature requests we got from the reporters myself, or even, you know, because I anticipate some needs, I can do it myself too. Um, so yeah, I guess in short, I will never stop cutting and, uh, and ICIJ is still a great place to do it. And I'm just curious, building on that, what are some of your coding languages that you know and still use and love? And what, what would you want to learn if you had time to and you weren't too busy managing all these other people? So I, I tried many uh, programming language. Um, my favorite ones are Python and JavaScript. Um, I use a lot of JavaScript to build a uh, nice interface and uh, interactive visualizations. Um, and I use Python a lot to um, to build analysis over the data and tools to um, to manipulate data. Um, I also use Ruby a lot because some of our platform uh, use Ruby. Um, I guess to answer your question, if I had to spend more time learning a new, a new language, I wouldn't learn a new language, but I would probably spend more time learning about Panda in Python. Uh, which is, you know, an amazing library to uh, manipulate data. Um, but my knowledge with Panda are very limited right now. We do have a question in the audience. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. <laughs> um, what are the dif what are the biggest differences between the Pandora and the Panama Papers? Are there any strong changes in the way the two projects are coordinated? Um, not really. Um, no, the, I mean. The big difference is the size of the project, but the methodology is almost the same. Um, you know, before I said that we had this um, those steps where we index the data, we build the country list, we contact the partners. Uh, all of that were already applied to the Panama Papers and all the investigation we do at ICIJ. Um, so I guess that's also one of the reasons why we were able to involve so many reporters. It's because we didn't try to reinvent the wheel, uh, and we tried to capitalize on the the methodology we already implemented at ICIJ. 
From a reporting point of view, I think one of the challenge with the Pandora Papers was to maintain uh, the attention uh, from the audience to the topic of you know offshore financing. That's something we did. We started um, ten years ago with the offshore leaks project, um, and even if this project was bigger than anything we had before in so many aspects, uh, we really needed to find groundbreaking stories to maintain the the you know uh, some sort of uh, attraction uh, for the readers. Um, so I guess that was one of the biggest challenge for for the Pandora Papers. If journalists wanted to get involved with ICIJ um, and they had some coding background, like how do, how would they go about doing that? Because you guys are working all over the world, right? Right. Um, so for the upcoming investigations, uh, it's, it's always ICIJ that get in touch with the media, um, mostly because they don't know about the oncoming investigation and uh, we have to come forward. But... Um, when we do an investigation like the Pandora Papers, uh, we continue to investigate on the documents. And so if a journalist has a story and uh, needs help to uh, verify something or wants to search something into the documents, our data team is able to help them and uh, build new partnership with the media uh, using data from previous investigations. So that's uh, that's for the Pandora paper, but that's also for uh, the Panama or the Paradise paper. Uh, many stories were published way beyond uh, publication um, because of that. What are some of the biggest pain points that, that that team or the editorial team kind of come to you with that you've noticed from these investigations, you know, since you've been working there since 2017? Are there things that come up regularly? Yeah, one of the uh, the thing that we try to do every time, uh, and that is key in this kind of investigation, is finding the client list. Uh, when you have data from a company, you want to know who are the clients. And for each company, this is different, you know, because you got a leak from um, from that company that is internal documents. Uh, and so every time and for every company, the client list is different. Some company uh, don't have a client list. And so our data team is working very hard during months to build this data, this client list uh, for each data provider, as for, sorry, for each um, offshore service provider. Um, in the case of the Pandora Papers, as I said, we have 14 uh, offshore service providers. So for each provider, our team had to find the client list and it was not structured the same way. And also we didn't have the same amount of data for each provider, so we, we had to do it very differently. So I guess that's one of the um, yeah, most frequent uh, use case we have with the data. Um, there's a couple of questions in the general chat. Um, beyond participating in a major global investigation, what do you think have been the main benefits for journalists taking part in this investigation? What are the shared learnings, network expansion, skill sets? Yeah, so it really depends on the country. Uh, in some country, people collaborated a lot. 
uh, between medias and some in some countries they didn't or um, I mean uh, not much um, so I guess for some reporters that was a great opportunity to collaborate with uh, competitors uh, which is an interesting approach of reporting uh, I also think that uh, what I said before about PGP, you know, encrypted en encrypting email, that's a, a big takeaway from our investigations because we required every journalist to use PGP, but a lot of them don't know about PGP, so they don't know about encrypting emails and, you know, communicating securely with the source. Well, after they collaborated with ICAJ and they joined the investigation, they were trained to use it. So... I mean, it's a, a kind of um, uh, a side effect of the investigation, but we train by accident, uh, per se, and uh, we train the, the journalists involved in, in the investigation. I also think that uh, the relationship that we build with each media during the investigation is um, is going to last. Uh, we really want to build a strong relationship with media. So when we have an investigation, we are able to start it quickly with them. Uh, a good example is the Luanda Leaks investigations. Um, we did it with uh, a lot of media partners, but uh, the Le Monde in France uh, was a partner of ICIJ since many years. And because they knew us and because they knew that this kind of investigation would work, well, we work, um, they invested a lot of resources. And I guess that's a big takeaway from the previous uh, investigations, you know, uh, just the trust they we built with the partners and they have into the network. And finally, um, I just was curious if there was any advice you have for journalists looking to sort of make this unlikely transition into a more tech-driven role like you have. So uh, it's a bit hard to say for me because I did it the other way, you know. At first I was a developer and, and I started to work with journalists. But that's why my, uh, my number one advice is always to learn programming. Uh, if you want to work on interactive visualization, you know, and interactive storytelling, learn JavaScript, uh, learn D3GIS. Uh, but if you are more interested into data scrapping and data analysis, uh, you probably learn, you, you probably should learn Python or R. Um, and uh, I guess that will make a huge difference between you and other uh, data journalists that don't have any skills in programming. Um, I also think that that will help you to work with developers. Uh, you know, working with tech-savvy people is not always easy because um, the, the tech is complex and uh, it's somehow hard to explain. If you are able to understand better their work, uh, the collaboration will be uh, much easier. Then I guess it's also something you have to develop in your own newsroom. Um, you know, when there is a story, uh, are your colleagues interested in having some sort of data angle? Um, and I think that if you want to develop your own skills in data journalism, you also have to um, educate your colleagues to uh, ask you for help or think from a data perspective. So for every stories, you know, uh, you can contribute.
Very useful advice there. Well, thank you, Pierre, so much for coming on today. I'm afraid that's all we have time for, but it was just brilliant having you on and hearing all your experience working on the Pandora Papers as well as your other work in other organizations. Thanks a lot. Thank you. A big thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Want to hear more interesting discussions on data journalism? You can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also get the podcast straight to your inbox by subscribing to our newsletter at datajournalism.com slash subscribe. I've been your host, Tara Kelly, and that's all for now. See you next time.